baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley and Nick Green. Hello again and welcome to From the Diamond. I'm Grant McCauley, joined by Nick Green. And we have a week's worth of baseball under our belts now as the regular season has gotten started. The Atlanta Braves didn't get the start that they wanted to in the opening weekend, but they certainly made up for it as they came home to SunTrust Park and just finished off a sweep of what appeared to be a very hapless Cubs team. We're going to talk a lot about that. Of course, we'll talk about some of the lows that happened up in Philadelphia, and we'll take a look around all of baseball and get everything sized up as we finally have things going. And I know, Nick, you and I have been talking about it, counting down for quite some time. We finally got to the end of spring training. We had our show last week. We only had one game to talk about. Now we got a little bit more to uh, sink our teeth into, so I'm pretty excited to get this show started. Yeah, it's been fun first week of the season. I know the Philadelphia series obviously wasn't what anybody planned, but that's how baseball goes, and they, they came back home and they've rebounded. Now, the Braves certainly did, and they rebounded in a big way, and I think they might have gotten a little bit of an assist from the way the Cubs were playing baseball because it was a pretty <laughs> sloppy series, some sloppy weather in the final game, but it might have been the best of the bunch, and we'll talk a little bit more about that as we get this show started and dive into our Atlanta Braves news. But before we do that, I want to let you know you can subscribe to the podcast. Just search for From the Diamond on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. Ratings and reviews always appreciated. And, of course, on social media, you can follow us on Twitter at FromTheDiamond underscores, where you can find the show. I am at Grant McCauley, and Nick is at NickGreen20 from TheDiamond.com. You can find every episode and all the other articles and fun stuff we're sharing throughout the year as well. So that's how you can connect with the show. We like to connect with you, and when we do that, we like to start with our Atlanta Braves talk. So, Nick, let's dive into that. Uh, let's do it, man. There's a lot of good stuff to talk about. I'm going to lead off with something that we can certainly debate the merits of, maybe being the way the Braves should be leading off each and every day, and I'm going to give you a name. And it's a name that we talk about quite a bit because we were wondering which Ozzy Albies was going to show up this year. The guy we saw in the first half last year or the guy we saw in the second half that had a little bit more trouble putting the bat on the ball, especially from the left side. He's looked good from both sides of the plate in the early going. What have you noticed about Ozzy Albies, maybe even dating back to the spring? What do you see in this year that has him what would appear to be maybe back on the right track? I'd see it a different mentality, kind of a different focus and game plan and approach left-handed. We've always talked about that with Ozzy. Is he going to be able to hit left-handed? If he can, then he can be a top-of-the-order type of guy. If he can't figure it out, where do you hit him? Uh, he had to hit him kind of towards the bottom. He can't hit second because uh, he's going to be facing a lot of right-handers. But what he's done so far early on this season is is continue to make adjustments and be okay with getting a base hit single uh, from the left side of the plate. Last year, he had that power surge early on, and I think that that hurt him in a way because he sees what kind of power he has and he's capable of. And so then he tries to continue to uh, build off that power instead of being who he is, which is a line drive hitter, and when a pitcher makes a mistake, then he takes advantage of that, and that's where the home runs come. So uh, I actually talked to Kevin Seitzer 
yesterday about Ozzy from the left side of the plate. And he said what they're trying to do, and he said they were trying to do it last year too, but uh, you can't fault Ozzy for not making that adjustment last year because they were in a pennant race. Uh, he was trying to help his team out, and it's hard to, to change your approach and change your game plan that drastically if things aren't working immediately. You don't. It's like, how do you change? Yeah. So he's had the time to work on it all offseason, but he's looking at hitting line drives over the shortstop's head, and that's where he needs to be. That approach the other way, and then if they throw something off speed or happen to pound him in with a fastball, he's quick to it. Now, all of a sudden, he turns on a ball and he's got a home run. And that's kind of where he needs to stay. If he can accept that and stay with that approach, uh, he's going to be fine. And with, by doing this, if you are paying attention to his left hand at bats, he's on balance more. He's not swinging quite as many pitches down in the dirt. He's not leaking forward with his front hip towards the pitcher where he, he's committing so soon that it's like right out of the pitcher's hand. If it's not a fastball right down the middle, he's swinging. Right. He's not doing that right now. He has four walks on the season. All of them are left-handed. Last year, it took him 14 games to get his first walk. So you can see the adjustments that are being made. Obviously, it's only six games, so there's a long way to go. But uh, early on, I, I think he looks really good. I mean, you got to be encouraged with the things that he's doing. I, I posted that on Twitter about how infrequent the walks were for him last year. 36 walks on the season, and that was a guy that had a ton of plate appearances, was playing pretty much every day for the Braves even when he struggled. It wasn't like they were looking for ways to keep Ozzie Albies out of the lineup. He kept hoping, like, today's going to be the day that he's going to figure it out. And as you mentioned, I mean, he was working, trying to figure out ways to get out of that slump and to get back on track or maybe even to just make a mechanical adjustment that was totally different than what he was doing early on in the season. But that stuff is hard to do, I think, when you are in season. But you brought up something really interesting about his mentality and about the kind of at-bats and the kind of production that he's looking for at the plate or the kind of outcome he's looking for at the plate, I should say, putting the ball in play, line drive over the shortstop's head. I cannot tell you how many times I have watched Freddie Freeman take batting practice and heard Freddie Freeman talk about it. All he tries to do before every game is hit line drives to left center field over the shortstop's head. I've got a video, and I may post this again, where he was explaining this to Matt Kemp a couple of springs ago, exactly why he does it and what the importance of it is and the fact that once you get in the game, and Nick, you just pointed this out as well, when the pitcher gives you that pitch that you can drive, that you can pull, you'll be able to do that. But I guess it's just that overall mentality and being able to keep that balance. And as you mentioned, not overcommitting early, not leaking forward, and not getting himself so off balance that he's just not able to make quality, consistent, contra- yeah. quality, consistent contact. That, I think, is a very noticeable change in the early going for Ozzy Albies. That plus the walks has me feeling pretty good about his ability to be an on-base machine, which was really what he was in the minors. He wasn't big power guy. He was a guy that was going to hit over 300 and find his way on base. And once there, he was going to wreak a little bit of havoc, which I think is something he could do this year as well. I want to go back to one at-bat last night with Ozzy. He was left-handed. He gets a two-strike breaking ball down in the dirt. What he did with the with his swing, he has the leg kick. He was decided he wants to win two strikes to put the foot down. So he gets the slider down in the dirt. He fouls it off. Fouls off a really tough pitch. The next pitch, fastball, and he gets the foot down again. I don't love that approach with getting the foot down early, but he he's so talented he could do it if his approach is right mm-hmm. by going the other way, hitting over the shortstop's head. Hits a line drive, base hit. And 
I love just seeing him make those adjustments. And I see Miguel Cabrera do this stuff all the time. He's pretty he's, good. Sometimes he's a leg kick guy. Sometimes he's a toe tap guy. Sometimes he gets the foot down. Ozzy was trying to make that adjustment. He fouled off a really tough pitch and then got a pitch he could handle and hit a line drive back up the middle. So for me, that shows that he's willing to make the adjustment and he wants to make that adjustment. And I know people are all over these guys. They can't throw strikes. They're swinging the balls in the dirt. Baseball is hard. It's really, really hard. I've heard that somewhere. <laughs> to see him make that adjustment was, was pretty good. But talking about his speed, if he can be okay with hitting line drives and getting his singles and then taking extra bases when he gets the, the uh, pitch to do that with, he's going to steal a lot of bases. Yeah. We've already seen him run quite a few times this year. That's part of his game. I want to see more. I want to see him steal 25 bases. I want to see him continue to wreak havoc on the bases. He could take the extra base. He can go first to third. There's so many things that he can do. But uh, if he accepts the fact um, that he's okay with hitting a, getting a single, hitting a line drive up the middle of the other way, now his on-base percentage up and he has more opportunities to steal. Right. And like I said, I would love to see him steal 25, 30 bases. He's certainly got the speed to do it. I talked to him last year at FanFest. So right about three or four weeks, I guess, before spring training got started in 2018. And I asked him, and, and a lot of guys don't really want to talk about it when it comes to, well, what is your goal for this year? Statistically speaking, some guys are comfortable with it. Other guys are like, you know what? I'm just going to put my work in. Numbers will be there. I'll figure that all out as I get going. But Ozzy said he wanted 200 hits and he wanted to steal 40 bags. Those are pretty good goals to have. And he's a confident guy. And by the way he got started and was racking up all those hits, especially the extra base hits last year, you had to feel pretty good about it. But Stolen bases and baseball, as we've seen over the last, I don't know, 10, 20 years, it seems like they're a less important weapon. I mean, some guys, I guess you're, there's exceptions to every rule, but by and large, you're not seeing as many teams really commit to running on a regular basis, at least as far as the straight steal is concerned. So it'll be interesting to see exactly how many of those opportunities Ozzy Albies gets, and is he a player that, as he matures, and keep in mind, we were talking about, what, a 22-year-old, as he matures in his career, Will he be one of those guys that kind of gets that green light and always has it if he feels like he can steal a base, if he gets on first and has a chance to do some running and really put the pressure on a pitcher? That certainly is part of his game, and that's something that I think a lot of people look at when you start to think about the ideal leadoff hitter, a guy that gets on base, a guy that can put pressure on the opposing team when he's on base, and we're going to see Ozzie Albies batting leadoff against left-handed pitchers. He did that against John Lester a couple of days ago, and I think we're going to see a lot of that throughout this year. I think the question will become, if Ozzy Albies looks great from the left side and he's the weapon that he is from the right side, how long do you think it might be before the Braves have to consider, depending on the play, obviously, of Ender and Ciarte, do we want to put Ozzy Albies up at the top because it's hard to deny the talent when he's going, and I don't know if we've seen the best of Ozzy Albies yet, which is pretty scary in a good way. He likes to hit at the top of the order. He wants to hit leadoff. When you're looking at the leadoff hitter of this generation, it does, you don't have to have the speed. They like you to get on base. And this is like an old school type leadoff hitter for me with Ozzy. We know that he can hit right handed. And if he could hit right handed every time, absolutely put him in the leadoff spot. Yeah. Um, and he would, he would rake. Uh, Acuna, I loved what he brought to the table because no doubt. It, from strike one, he was on the pitcher trying to get barrel on the ball. He made the pitcher work from, from the first pitch of the game. With Ozzy, he has to make the pitcher work from pitch one. But he right now, it's way too early because he's too likely to swing at something bad first pitch of the game. 
and then all of a sudden the momentum kind of goes downhill a little bit. They've got to take some pitches uh, and kind of get back on track. But I think he's more than capable of doing that. Um, I think it's really, really early to even think about it right now. Oh, yeah. Because we just don't know where his left-handed swing is going to be in a month and a half. When when you look at, say, two months from now, if he's still swinging the bat well, yeah, and Ender's hitting 250, you've got to make that adjustment. But right now, Ender, Ender doesn't look bad. Um, the average isn't great. Uh, but he's he's had some big hits. I think he's going to have to improve to in order to stay in that spot on a consistent basis. But I would rather have Ender, honestly, right now, and leave Ozzy in the role that he's in because I want Ozzy's confidence to go up and I want him to continue to, to work on uh, his approach and, and keep that same mentality from the left side of the plate. If you move him to the leadoff spot, I'm afraid that he might try to do a little bit too much, even though he loves it and he would embrace it. I want Ozzy to be in the most successful position in that lineup he could yeah. possibly be. And obviously from the right side, it doesn't matter where he hits because he just crushes. But from the left side, I, I want to build that confidence before I start relying heavily on him to do big things from the left side. I think that these opportunities to hit against lefties and be able to bat right-handed and just do the things that he's always done. I mean, this is the guy that hits 100 points higher from the right side of the plate. Now, given it's about 200 at-bats total, but a lot of extra base hits and just the line drives and the ability to just barrel up the baseball from the right side it just makes you want to see that. And at the top of the order, give them as many opportunities as possible. But I think you hit on something really important there, a couple things actually. Number one is the sample size. I mean, I don't think anybody's sitting here ready to pull the panic button or hit the panic switch just because, you know, in, in a week's worth of games, this guy is hitting over 200 and the other guy is hitting over 450 because I can tell you two things. Number one, Enderenciarte is probably not going to hit 150 this year. Number two, Ozzy Albies is probably not going to hit 450 this year. So the game of small sample sizes, sometimes it gets you a little bit too excited and people look at what have you done for me lately. But I think you're right when it comes to if Ender is able to get himself on track and be anything close to what he's been historically in the second half and what he was in the second half of 2018, then he's a guy that at leadoff is perfectly fine. And with Ozzy Albies, the confidence factor, I do think that's really important. You don't want to start yo-yoing these guys around putting him in different spots, moving him around, and maybe taking some positive momentum as far as the mental approach and that side of the game, and then making them feel like, okay, well, now I have to perform and now I have to do things differently because now I'm batting at the top of the order. And I think that that's something that may kind of go uh, sight unseen when it comes to most people, when you're just looking at the numbers and wanting to just put a lineup together based on that. But that's an important factor for a manager and important for each and every player because mentally, uh, and you know this well more than I do, that side of things can affect your game in ways that physically there may be nothing wrong with you, but mentally and the momentum that you need as a, as a professional athlete each and every day, each and every at bat, that's an important aspect of your game, is it not? It is, and that's why I was worried about Acuna uh, to a degree, that you move him into a position where he, you want him to be the same guy and you tell him to be the same guy, but he knows that he has to drive runs in. Right. He's got to be patient drive runs in, he can't really be the same guy that he was at the top of the order. Do you want him to be? Absolutely. And if he can be, then he's fine. And that's where that's where I worry about young guys moving around the order, asking a little bit too much of them. That's one of the reasons I, I really wanted Acuna to stay in the leadoff spot because that's where he was comfortable. With Ozzy, he looked comfortable down in the sixth spot in the order. Uh, he, uh, to me, he can do a lot of things in the sixth spot, uh, but it's all about confidence. 
And when you start bouncing guys around, yo-yoing them around, if they aren't on board with it, they're not going to succeed. Right. Nick Markakis has been on board since he's been here moving around the order. Josh Donaldson's not on board moving out of the two spot. So it's about trying to put them in the best position to succeed. And wherever they feel most comfortable is where you, you want them to build that confidence until they show you they're ready to move around the order. Well, the Braves have a lot of pieces that can move around and when they do and the reasons that they do, of course, will take place over a 162-game season, and there will be changes to the lineup. We know that that one that trotted out on opening day, you know, plus or minus the catcher that's kind of interchangeable, we're going to see some changes based on performance, based on perhaps injury, or some of the other things that can come up. But it is encouraging, though, and that's why I really wanted to lead off with it, that we've seen Ozzie Albies get off to a fast start and to look good from the left side of the plate, two things that I think that very much were storylines throughout the winter in wondering how he was going to look and the early results certainly have to have you encouraged as we talk about the first week's worth of games or first couple of series worth of games. Some other guys getting some opportunities, though. Some of these Braves young pitchers we saw in the Philadelphia series, which I hate to bring that up because I don't think anybody enjoyed it too much if you're on the Braves affiliation <laughs> side, whether you're a fan or probably whether you were in that dugout of that clubhouse or, or even the uh, front office for that matter. But uh, Kyle Wright and Bryce Wilson, a couple of Braves arms that got starts in that first series against Philadelphia. Bryce Wilson did not look particularly sharp. Kyle Wright, I think there were some pluses and minuses from his outing, uh, but not the starts that either one of them wanted, I think, in Philadelphia as the Phillies were able to pull off a sweep. Max Fried, though, totally different story on Thursday night at SunTrust Park because he carried a perfect game into the sixth inning despite having to battle the rain and the elements. Max Fried looked tremendous. The fastball was popping the mitt uh, up in the mid-90s at times. The curveball looked tremendous, and I think that you know, his changeup even was also a pitch that really helped him out. Uh, what do you make of these three guys? And we can talk a little bit more about Max Fried. So I guess let's start with Kyle Wright and Bryce Wilson. Bryce was just sent back down to Gwinnett. He's going to be starting on a regular basis there. I think that's good for him. We're going to see him again, no doubt about that. But what did you make of the early returns for Bryce Wilson and for Kyle Wright in that Philadelphia series before we jump into the Max Fried story? I think we expected more out of Bryce Wilson, and I think he expected more out of himself. He didn't look like the same pitcher the velocity was down. Right. Didn't have the same command and confidence that he had in spring training. Did we expect that? Maybe a little bit going game two of the season. But he showed in spring training that they, they felt like he was capable enough of filling that spot in the rotation. So he'll be back. There's no no worries there. Um, and, and he's so young. He's, it's not a huge deal. So that just is what it is. Bryce Wilson will be back, and he will be a big part of the future. Uh, of this rotation. If not, the rotation is going to be in the bullpen. Mm-hmm. And I think he could fill that role easily as well. Multiple inning guy comes in. Uh, I think that fastball will play up a little bit. Uh, and we'll talk about Max Freed, his fastball velocity. But when the, he moved to the pin, Freed, the fastball velocity jumps to 97. Yeah. So I think that Bryce Wilson's a guy that that could happen to. Love Kyle Wright's stuff. Um, that was a that was a tough day. Uh, gripping the baseball. Yeah. Um, Jake Arietta had six walks that day. Arietta doesn't walk six guys. Uh, balls flying all over the place. So uh, the five walks is a little deceiving. The stuff for, for Kyle Wright is as good as it gets. So I'm excited to see him pitch again. Kind of write that one off as just bad conditions, and he'll be fine. I want to see what they do with him, though. If he continues to show promise and pitches well his next outing, then we get Fulton Evich back in the rotation. Gosman's coming back. What do you do? And where do you go? And it's a good thing. Um, you have to have depth, and they've got some depth. But Kyle Wright's stuff is, is about as good as it gets. And when I talk about Max Freed, 
I've been a proponent of moving Max to the bullpen, wanting him to be that multiple inning guy. Uh, I just felt like the stuff played up big time in the bullpen. But what I saw from him on Thursday night, holy cow. Yeah. I want him in the rotation every five days if he could throw like that. And he's not going to be able to pitch six innings of shutout baseball every time out. What he can do is continue to, to pound the strike zone, continue to work on all of his pitches. Uh, he, he said after the game that moving to the bullpen was probably the best thing for him. It taught him, hey, you've got to go attack these guys. And on Thursday night, he was throwing strikes with all his pitches. He was pounding the zone. It looked like he was throwing the ball through the catcher's mitt yeah. and not to it. So the life was there. He actually was up to 97, yeah. which was kind of crazy. But he he attributed that to just being more athletic and free. Um, and then the velocity jumps a few ticks. And that's he looked free, athletic, easy. Uh, when I saw him at AAA last year, it was almost just inconsistent delivery. And he was throwing balls up and away. Uh, and all of a sudden, he'd be in a, a five-pitch count and then have to go six pitches on everybody. It was it was crazy because it just was like almost like watching paint dry on a wall with Max Freed. And the stuff was outstanding, but it was ball, ball, strike, strike, ball. And then all of a sudden, it's six pitches. Yeah, nothing so but deep counts. he's yeah. starting to figure it out. No, he's starting to figure it out. And and uh, his curveball is absolutely nasty. He had seven uh, called strikes on the curveball on Thursday. He threw five or six sliders, five or six changeups. He just started throwing the slider this year. It's 86, 87, somewhere in there. If he can continue to build off that slider, you add the slider to that fastball curveball mix, uh, and he's got the changeup as well, he can be filthy. And I, I don't know. I was just was really impressed with that performance. Uh, you and just about anybody else that got eyeballs on that had to be impressed with the way he was going. I mean, when he came out of that game, he got the six innings in, and this, this real strange thing, I guess, was the Cubs have been so poor this uh, in that series that they allowed a huge inning for the Braves. It went on for about 35 minutes between Max Fried getting the final out of the fifth and going back out to start the sixth inning again, all while having faced 15 batters and set him down. He did give up a single in that sixth inning, but was able to close out his performance with six innings of one hit ball, no walks, and five strikeouts for him. But I, I remember remarking to somebody uh, just up in the press box, I felt like he had more than five strikeouts. Just the way he was throwing was so good. I was almost thinking, well, surely he struck out you know, half a dozen, maybe more guys. But that final line was what it was, and it was a very good line, by the way. He was just so efficient and looked so comfortable and so dialed in. And you and I both on this very podcast have talked about what Max Reed could be as a weapon out of the bullpen especially when it looked like the Braves were going to start the season leaning more on Kyle Wright and Bryce Wilson. But, the, of course, those plans always subject to change. I think Wright is in that plan for the immediate future. And now I think with the way that Freed is thrown, because keep in mind we have seen him out of the bullpen already this year as well, but the way that he threw on Thursday night against the Cubs makes me feel like if the Braves are of the mind to do that kind of pseudo six-man rotation thing, which will be a thing coming forward, are moving forward once you get Kevin Gosman back, which will happen on Friday night against the Marlins, and Mike Fultonevich could be back in the next week or two. He had a good rehab start down in Gwinnett for their opening night on Thursday as well. If the Braves get this rotation back to health and back to the kind of performance that they got from Fulte and from Gosman last year, and then you throw a healthy and effective Max Fried into the mix and see what you get out of Kyle Wright, Julio Tehran, at least to me, has looked a little bit better this year in the way he's attacking and the way his velocity looks. If you get Sean Newcomb on track, 
then we're talking about all this starting pitching depth that the Braves do actually have, which makes you feel like you can go through the season and compete with all of these guys. But I think Wright, he's got to be a, a guy that you're – there's nothing really left for him to prove in the minors, and he's certainly a guy that you want starting. And Max Freed is showing you and has shown you before with flashes of this – there's a lot to like about what's going for him. And I think you hit the nail on the head with the fact if he's got a four-pitch mix working, Max Reed could be absolutely dominant. And we got a little glimpse at what could be on Thursday night. So there's a lot to like when it comes to the overall arm talent of the Braves rotation. If they get healthy, this is a pretty good group. It's a really good group. And what do you do with, with Sean Newcomb if he doesn't pitch well next time out? That's a good question. Max Freed pitches well his next time out. And like you said, I, I'm on board with with throwing Kyle Wright out there every five days. I'm I'm with you. I don't think that he has anything to prove in the minor leagues. He's going to get better by pitching in the big leagues. He's not going to get better by pitching in the minor leagues. Um, the question is how many innings are they going to let him go? Yeah. There's going to be a point where they're going to have to rest him at some stage of the game if you want him at the end of the year. But I think he's more than capable of pitching every five days uh, in the big leagues and then you can't take Max Fried out of the rotation if he's going to throw as well as he did. And there are a couple of things that were impressive to me about Freed and just seeing the focus on his face and the attacking the strike zone, throwing strikes. And if he's capable of throwing strikes, then all of a sudden he can go six things every time out. Mm-hmm. Last year, you worried about it because it was at times ball, 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 strike, strike. And all of a sudden you're looking at a guy throwing 90 pitches in five innings. If he's able to take that same uh, game plan and mentality into every single start and start throwing strikes on a consistent basis. I want Max Fried in there too. So then you have a problem with Fulton Evans coming back. Tehran, I'm on board with Tehran this year so far. I want to see a few more starts, but what I've seen in the first two, I'm on board with him. Obviously, again, it's like a he's a four or five right now, which is fine yeah. in the rotation. But I'm on board with Tehran. Sean Newcomb's got to show me something. Uh, the four walks in the four innings, we had the 14 walks in 21 innings. It was a lot. Uh, in spring training. Yeah, it was. I think it was 14. He's got to do something different because I think that his spot in the rotation is not on the line. And it's, it's only going to be his second start when he comes back out. But right now, the way these other guys are pitching and help, the other guys are getting healthy. You look at Sean Newcomb and say, if he doesn't get it turned around in the next game or two, he's probably going to be at AAA. And, and his stuff is really? good. He just has to. He just has to get it figured out. That's the great part about having depth, too. Right. I find that fascinating, though, that you look at Sean and and feel like you know Triple A could be somewhere he goes sooner than later. I don't know how long his leash is either. And just to play devil's advocate, I mean, he was a guy that for a good portion of last season threw extremely well, but he seemed to tire down the stretch, and no one benefited more from the extra days rest last year than Sean Newcomb did. So. The stuff, like you said, the stuff is there. I don't think that's ever been a question, but the focus and the command and the consistency, those are all the things, more so the command and the consistency. I don't really think that it's that he's not necessarily focused, but it's hard to put your finger on how exactly a guy with that good of stuff can go up there and get on that mound and end up behind in counts, end up losing, and we walked the pitcher the other night. That's just frustrating. You know, even if you strike out the ninth place hitter and it's a position player, that's great, but the walks that's something that and we're going to talk about it more so again in the bullpen but that's been the one thing that is uh, the only thing I think that has held Sean Newcomb back from finding that consistency and reaching that next level and becoming a competent major league starter every fifth day that you hand the ball to and you feel like hey we got a chance to win today because he's going to go out there and do his job you just don't know 
And when you've got pitchers like that, and you know this as well as anyone, if you're if you get into the bullpen in the middle and earlier innings, night after night after night after night, you're going to end up having not a problem. A good thing. It's not a good thing at all. And that's something that I look at and think maybe early on you're not wanting to overextend your starting pitchers to 110, 115, 120 pitches or whatever it may be in their first couple of starts of the year. But once the weather starts to warm up and April turns into May, you're going to, I think, want 110 or so pitches out of your starting pitcher, but they're going to have to be quality pitches. I mean, you can't throw, like you said, 90 pitches in four innings and expect to be hanging around when the top of the seventh comes around. That's just not going to be the case. So I'm interested to see what happens with Sean Newcomb and also how the Braves start to manage the workloads of their starters because I think, and, and you can tell me if you disagree, they need another inning or two out of their starters than they've been getting and not just early this season, but also at times last year, you just can't ask the bullpen, I don't think, to go out there and get you 12 and 13 outs every single night. No, you can't. And I know a lot of teams are okay with the five and dive and then go to the bullpen and see where you're at. But yeah. it's not good for anybody. You're going to overwork the bullpen. You're going to have guys get hurt, and all of a sudden you don't have depth in the pen, and now where do you go? Uh, so I think you have to extend these starters – a little bit farther in, obviously it's early in the season, but uh, I would love to see them all get into the seventh inning, at least get through six, maybe get into the seventh, six and a third, six and two thirds, whatever. Uh, but you have to help out that bullpen uh, at some stage of the game. And the starting pitching as far as going deep in the games has been actually awful to start out the season. No doubt. Uh, Teron went five and he went five in both of his starts. Max Freed went six. That was a good start, but Bryce Wilson went three and a third. Kyle Wright went four and a third, and Newcomb went four. So right. that's not that's not really where you want to be. <laughs> They've been lucky with a couple off days early on in the season, but that's slowing down. And I think that Snit's going to try to extend these guys a little bit uh, deeper as the as the season moves on. I think you have to. I mean, I I, I looked at Julio Tehran a couple of nights ago and thought. I would have let him go out there and start the sixth inning. I mean, unless you were in a place where you had a chance to bust the game open and you had to pinch hit for him and he had to come out of the game, you know, 90 pitches. He did have to grind a little bit early, but he seemed like he had really, really settled in. So it's just, I hate to be the armchair manager or the guy that's just sitting, you know, up in a press box or watching on a monitor somewhere and, and thinking that I know how to do it better. But you have the option of managing in hindsight as well and seeing how the game plays out. But you just feel like it would go so much further for the good of the ball club in terms of the bullpen and really the starting pitching as well if they're able to step up and cover some more innings. And I think that that will be the case. You're not going to have these early hooks when it comes to just trying to manage a pitch count that you might have in this first, you know, well, the final few days of March and the first couple of weeks of April. That may be more of a thing, but they've got to get some more outs and they've got to figure out some ways to cover some more innings. This bullpen has been a bit frustrating because other than the opening game against the Cubs, walks are still a big problem for Atlanta they do get A.J. Minter back. He came off the injured list, and he appeared in Thursday night's game. A couple of walks for him as well. I will give him a little bit of a pass, no pun intended, because he's not really pitching with a whole bunch of outings under his belt from spring training, quite obviously, because he's been off the mound and not in regular game action. He, getting A.J. Minter back should help overall. Chad Sabatka, though, had a rough spring. He hasn't looked particularly sharp here in the early going as well. And we've talked about Luke Jackson. I know Shane Carl, some of these other guys that you've, you've looked at from time to time and said, what would this bullpen look like if another piece was here or another piece was there? And what is this bullpen going to look like this time two weeks from now or this time two months from now? 
I think those are all good questions because I think this group's going to be a work in progress all season long. I think it is too. And I think that's one of the reasons fans were frustrated. They didn't make any more moves Yeah, because you've got to add some, some depth to that bullpen. You don't know what you're going to get out of young guys. And I know Chet Sabaka was outstanding last year. He has really good stuff and I think he's going to be fine, but you didn't come into this season expecting Chad Sabaka to have a 15.43 ERA yeah. after three games. Did you think it might be possible that he would struggle a little bit? Yeah, I think that at some point. How bad do they struggle? We don't know. We have to have some backup plans, and I think that's where fans are frustrated with that. But the bullpen as a whole has the potential to be really good if everybody performs up to their capabilities. But people haven't performed up to capabilities – Sabaka hasn't walked anybody, and we complain about walks, but he, he's also he given up four earned and two and a third. Yeah. So it's like pick your poison. Um, and the walks are frustrating. If you look through the the walk totals of the of the bullpen, it's crazy. Shane Carl's got five walks. Sabaka doesn't have any. He's like he's the only one uh, other than Jesse Biddle that doesn't have a walk. And Biddle Biddle's throwing the ball pretty well. Yeah. And then Venters. He's a guy that's supposed to get lefties out. He's got a couple walks and a two-thirds of an inning. So they've got to tighten this thing up. They have to throw strikes. Like we were talking about the, the starting pitching. Extend them deeper into ball games, and it takes the pressure off the bullpen a little bit. But this is a bullpen that you cannot run out there every single day and not expect them to break down at some point. They're going to break down at some point. I, I like I like a lot of the arms. I do. Uh, but – Obviously, Philadelphia wasn't great, but you chalk that up as, as early season. Just throw it in the trash and be done with it. Uh, they're going to get better, and they're going to continue to improve. But overall, it's going to take a lot of guys to fill that bullpen and fill these innings. You've got to get the walk straightened out. No two ways about it. They've got to figure out a way to throw strikes more times than not. But as we pointed out, you're asking this bullpen to do an awful lot if you're wanting them to cover four-plus or four plus innings on a regular basis, I think that is just more than really any, even the modern bullpen, no matter how much depth you have, that can take its toll over time. But if they can get the starters into the middle innings and beyond the middle innings, maybe into that vaunted seventh inning or more, then I think you've really got something going. And the other aspect of it, and I know this is something that Mark Bowman of MLB.com has pointed out many times, I think they're trying to manage the workload on a Rodis Vizcaino because they don't want to run him into the ground because he's had kind of a chronic shoulder thing going on for a number of years where you're always wondering is another DL stint around the corner for him. No, he hasn't had to have another you know, major surgery. Hasn't missed a whole lot of time when it comes to just being wiped out for a season, but it becomes kind of unreliable at times if you're worried about, well, can I throw him a third day or should I wait? And then that's where A.J. Minter's return, I think, is really important for having somebody that can close out some games and help the Braves get those all-important final outs. But getting those outs between the 6th, 7th, 8th inning and the ninth inning, that's going to be pretty important too, and the Braves have got to figure out a way to do that without putting as many free runners on base. And I'm sure that's something that they're well aware of because they're the ones out there that are having to deal with the ramifications of some of these walks. Uh, wrapping up the uh, discussion on the pitching, Mike fulton five innings of hitless ball, two walks, two strikeouts, 56 pitches for Gwinnett on opening night on Thursday. That's a good sign. Fulton's going to throw at least one more rehab start. And then Kevin Gosman is set to come off the IL on Friday night and start against the Miami Marlins as they open up a weekend series to the Braves at SunTrust Park. Gosman's shoulder, good to go. Uh, Mark Bowman also wrote a piece, if you haven't seen that, uh, that Gosman did go and see Dr. James Andrews, and his shoulder checked out just fine, so he is not 
overly worried about it, but they did want to take their time, and it ends up, it looks like he's only going to have missed one turn through the rotation. If they can get him back and get him going, that obviously is a boost for that depth that we talked about a little bit earlier. Before we move on from the Braves talk, though, um, Nick Markakis is certainly worth talking about. After a five-hit night on Thursday, only the second five-hit game of his career, not that you know there are a lot of players that are racking up five for five nights, but funny enough, <laughs> the other one, came as a member of the Orioles against the Braves back in 2011. So Markakis has won against his club and won for the club that he's currently playing for as well. And both of them happened in Atlanta. So go figure. But I think Nick Markakis still has a chance to make some important contributions to this lineup. And Thursday was a good example of what exactly Nick can bring to the table as one of the many, many hitters that, if everything's going right, can help this offense really click. He's still a professional hitter and, and can still hit. He'll, he'll, he'll always be able to hit. Um, the approach is outstanding. He uses the entire field. He goes line to line. We saw that last night. Mm -hmm. But they're going to give him more days off, too, and I think that's going to help his performance overall and help help his stamina throughout the year. He faded off in the second half. The last couple months of the season last year weren't great for him. But if you rest him the right amount uh, throughout the season, I know it's going to be hard to do if he's swinging the bat well, but you have to give him a little bit of rest so he's, he's strong at the end. He's more than capable of having a great season. Uh, I think he could probably duplicate what he did last year. That'd be something. Uh, and and maybe, maybe say keep the stamina and, and consistency a little bit better too uh, those last couple months of the season. But I, I'm just so impressed with his ability to go out there, stick with the approach. He doesn't go up, get too high. He doesn't get too low. Uh, he stays even uh, on that even plane throughout the entire season, even if he's struggling or if he's – going five for five you might get a smile every now and then if he's going five for five but that's about it i don't it. know about that i think he, what did he, he clapped his hands twice uh thursday night there you so go that sounds that like my, Nick Marcus, yeah. <laughs> but if you're a young kid and, and you want to see a professional hitter this is the guy you want to watch yesterday he had a line drive to left field on a cutter away he's able to drive a breaking ball to the right side about took you Darvish's head off with a fastball back up the middle. Yes, he did. I don't know. It, it, it was an impressive, it was an impressive performance by Mark Akis and he had five RBIs. I think he's had five RBIs or more seven times in his career. He had six one time. So that's his career high, but this, this guy, he never ceases to amaze me. Yeah. Five hits, three doubles. I believe that tied a career high for him as well. And five runs knocked in as the Braves swept away the Cubs on Thursday night, a rainy game at SunTrust park. There was a lot to like though in that series. And a lot to like in that finale as Max Fried certainly took center stage and Nick Markakis helped ignite the offense. And the Braves found their way to 500, which is a place they hope to stay at or above throughout the rest of the 2019 season. And we know it's going to be a tough one as we transition into what else is happening across baseball. The Philadelphia Phillies, who the Braves got more than enough of over the opening weekend, they got to like their early returns with Bryce Harper. He's looked very good in a Phillies uniform. National League East, Nick, we talked about this a lot, so I don't know that we need to belabor the point, but... It would appear this is going to be a four-team race, and it's going to rely heavily, I think, on how these teams face each other and how they stack up head-to-head -head as to who exactly might have the edge and who wins the National League East this year. What do you think? Well, you know that's what it's going to come down to. The Mets are pretty impressive, too, and uh, I'm actually excited to get my eyes on Pete Alonso. Yeah. He's a guy that I heard a lot about, and they gave him the job, and then said, ah, maybe not. Maybe he's not going to get the job, and they earn the job, and he's just absolutely crushing uh, but the Mets are the Mets are a good team. Washington, they've got to find some some ways to straighten things out. I don't I don't know if if the carryover from last year is going to affect them at all this year. 
they haven't gotten off to a great start. Uh, but the Phillies, wow, what an offense. No doubt. <laughs> when when the, the opening series in Philadelphia, I'm looking up and down that lineup. I'm going, holy cow, how do you get anybody out? They've got Michael Franco hitting eighth, and this dude is absolutely crushing. It, all the pressure is taken off of him, hitting at the bottom of the order. The lineup's lengthened. Uh, you have your power bats at the top. Uh, their run differentials plus 17, which is absolutely insane. That's 10 runs better than the Mets in, in, the, in the NL East. Uh, so their offense is going to be there. Uh, they're going to swing the bats. And if their pitching is is decent, it's it's going to be a tough, tough run in the NL East. Yeah, it certainly is. One other note on the Nationals in terms of what kind of start they got off to. They also got some news that they did not want. Not only is Bryce Harper no longer playing for their team and playing directly for a divisional rival, they also have lost Trey Turner, who broke his index finger trying to bunt a couple of nights ago. So he's going to be out what looks like about a month. So that's not exactly what you're looking for if you're the Washington Nationals. You're already down one major hitter because he changed uniforms, and now you're down what may be your most talented all-around player for a number of weeks. So that's a pretty tough blow for the Nationals right out of the gate as well. That's not going to make things any easier for them, especially with the Mets, the Phillies, and the Braves all trying to do their best to distance themselves from the pack or at the very least – beat up on each other as much as possible as they get things started here in the early portion of the season. And the Nationals don't want to be without Trey Turner for a an extended period of time. But it seems like that could really change the dynamic for that club for a number of weeks. Elsewhere in the National League, Brewers and Dodgers on top of the Central and the West, respectively, after one week. I'm going to give you two names, and I'm going to tell you that they're already putting together their MVP credentials or their MVP resumes with one week under their belts. <laughs> One guy won the MVP last year. That's Christian Yelich. I don't know if he just decided that he wants to win another one and he wanted to let everybody know immediately. He's coming right off a huge second half and is already hitting home runs left and right. And Cody Bellinger, speaking of home runs, he's racking those up as well. Both those guys on fire to start things off for the season and a big reason why the Brewers and the Dodgers grab first place right out of the gate. Uh, Yelich is one of my favorite players of all time. I, I just He's just such a pure hitter and he's he can run. Uh, he does everything well. He takes pitches. He, he hits the ball he's supposed to hit. Uh, he drives the ball out of the park to all fields. He's going to be in the MVP race again, and he's he's crucial to that ball club. But they look great early on. Cody Bellinger, I'm, I'm happy for him that he's getting that opportunity to play against lefties. I know last year they were the Dodgers were so kind of hell-bent on just playing matchups, right. and it hurt Bellinger. And that's not – Bellinger is a, a guy that you want in the lineup every day. It didn't make any sense to me at all. But his confidence wasn't crushed. He went in and told them in the offseason that he wanted to play against lefties, and they, they've given him that wish. So uh, good for him. I'm glad that the Dodgers are, are, as an organization, are allowing this to happen because they're so stat-driven. It's almost like even though you have a great player – He's got a few stats that don't show up well against lefty-lefty matchups, so we're going to sit him. And, and, and I don't know, props to Cody Bellinger for not letting that affect him. Uh, he's already has five home runs in seven yeah. games, so yeah. uh, good for him. And those those two teams are off to great starts. I've heard that's a pretty good ratio. If you hit five home runs every seven games, it could win you an MVP. It could get you an all-time home run record if you do that for about three or four seasons in a row. So, <laughs> now he's racking up and, and those, pop, those home runs. He's legit. And, and the great part about Bellinger is he can play multiple positions. So it's not like you have to put him in the same spot every right. day. If you want to get somebody else in there, you can move him around. And he's a, he's a phenomenal athlete. 
Over in the American League, the Yankees have run into some serious injury problems in the early going. We knew that some of them coming out of spring training, like Luis Severino, were going to be a little bit of a problem for him. But now their offense has taken some major hits. Giancarlo Stanton landing on the disabled list. Aaron Hicks is also banged up. Troy Tulowitzki just went on the DL. Yanks are a little bit shorthanded, but their direct rival, the Boston Red Sox, have really struggled out of the gates. Both those teams underperforming, which brings me to my actual question, which is not Yankees and Red Sox, because Lord knows we hear enough about that all season long. The Tampa Bay Rays won 90 games last year, (laughs) and they may just be able to hang around for a while and make life very difficult for other teams that want to win the American League East. I think it's going to be a pretty tough race, and I think the Rays are going to be around. I think they'll be around, but uh, I don't I don't see the Yankees and Red Sox playing as poorly right, right. Uh, as they played throughout the year. So I, I would I go out on a limb and say Tampa's going to win the division. No, I wouldn't. Um, I think one of those teams, Yankees or Red Sox, is going to turn things around. Probably the Red Sox uh, more than the Yankees to me. I, I like the Yankees lineup, but they're continuing to battle health problems. And, and I don't even know if they're getting Andujar back this year. Yeah, that's another. Uh, that's a big deal. It's it's a small labrum tear, and it could require surgery. So he might be gone. Uh, Batantis has an injury right now. Uh, Didi Grzor is obviously gone for the year. Aaron Hicks is out, which is a was a big sign. Is he going to be able to stay healthy? Because he's had a history of not staying healthy. Can he stay healthy? Where's Sabathia at? Uh, does he stay healthy throughout the year? Stanton is going to come back. He's an animal. He'll be back. But Severino is a big deal too, and and. Do these guys stay healthy? Does Tulowitzki stay healthy and perform? They have a lot of question marks. I love their lineup. We talked about this last week about it. could they hit 300 home runs. They could if they're healthy. Yeah. And if they're healthy, they could win the division. But they, the question is health there. And um, the Red Sox are a way better team than, than two and six. So they're going to get things turned around too. Uh, I'm happy for Kevin Cash in Tampa. He's done a phenomenal job over there. Uh, so – you have to give them some props, but uh, I can't see them winning that division. Rays are a tough team, though. I think they could find their way into October, and if they do, you know, that's really that's all you want to do as a club is find yourself a seat at that table and see what can happen thereafter. But I do think the Rays are going to be a pretty tough team to deal with if they stay healthy throughout this year as well. But maybe we jinx the Yankees by asking too early if they're going to be able to hit those 300 home runs because they started dropping like flies over the last five or six days. In the Central, the Twins, I think, could be a factor in that division. I know a lot of people kind of looked at them and wondered what exactly they are. Well, they played pretty well out of the gate. I think that they've got some talent, certainly, on that ball club they've collected. Indians, though, certainly have the pitching. Where do you weigh in on the Twins? Do you buy or sell the possibility that they could give the Indians a run for their money in the Central this year? I'm buying that they can give the Indians a run for their money. Uh, they've added some pieces. Nelson Cruz is a big piece. Yeah. Uh, CJ Crone's there. Uh, Buxton is healthy, and he looks like he's going to be uh, turning things yeah, around. Great spring for they him. They have some good – yeah, they've got some really good pieces. And if, if they can – if Jonathan Scope can hit some homers too and be better than what he was last year, that's a big deal too. The Indians, their lineup is just not – to me, it's a good lineup, but it's not as good as, as you would expect. They have some great pitching, no doubt about it, but is their lineup going to score enough runs? That's the question mark with the Indians. Are they going to stay healthy throughout the year too? So Central, to me, is up for grabs because we always do. We just give it to the Indians. Well, the Indians' roster as far as their offense is is not the same. So are they going to put the runs up? If they don't put the runs up, now all of a sudden the Twins uh, perform up to expectations. Mm -hmm. Now you've got a race, and that's what we need. 
we don't need to be handing the Indians the division every single year and just saying, okay, here you go. You haven't done anything. You haven't really added pieces, but you have a good team. Here's the division. I'm happy for Rocco Baldelli. They've gotten off to a good start in Minnesota, and I, I think he can turn that team around. Maybe it, just a new voice uh, changes the outlook of the players. They play a little bit harder, play a little bit better, a little bit more loose, and you never know. Yep, we'll see what happens. It is a long season, and this is a club that does have some talent. You ran through a lot of those names, and, of course, with the trade deadline, you never know what kind of deal could happen that could augment that club a little bit more, give them some reinforcements, and if they feel like they got a chance to win it, perhaps the Twins will be one of those teams that will jump in and do something in that regard. Out west in the American League, as we wrap up our look across the rest of baseball, the Seattle Mariners off to a very fast start. They're slugging their way to it for sure. AL West, though, in my mind, still goes through Houston, and I'm imagining that you probably feel much the same, right? How can it not? Houston's gotten off to a bad start, too. It's funny to see Houston 2-5 and five and the Red Sox 2-6. and six. Yeah, That doesn't seem right, and you you almost double-take and like, is that is that really right? Uh, but Houston's offense hasn't gotten going either. They're, they're minus seven run differentials, so that's not great. Uh, but they'll be fine, and it's got to – the West has to run through Houston. Uh, there's no way that – that Houston continues to play poorly. Uh, Seattle, it, with the sell-off, if they continue to play well, that's going to be a, an absolute shock. Uh, I can't believe the Rangers are 5-2 and two either, so um, you never know. Uh, Oakland's going to be there, but I think it's going to be Houston-Oakland at the top. Yeah, those are two tough teams, and I think both of them are going to really be able to, over the course of a season, show you what kind of baseball that they can play. Seattle, meanwhile, some notable questions. I mean, we talked about them over the offseason. is kind of looking like a team that was going to be cycling down and perhaps rebuilding, and maybe they're going to trade away even more pieces before this year was over. Nice little start for them, but as we've seen many, many times over the course of baseball, is not how you start, it is how you finish. And, of course, over the long grind of a season, it definitely matters how you're playing day in and day out to build that momentum and at least put yourself in a place where maybe you can think about buying in the middle of the summer if you're still there. So we'll be checking on that, monitoring all those division races each and every week, seeing how things are sized up across both the National and American Leagues. But that'll wrap us up on this episode of From the Diamond. Again, if you like what you heard, if you haven't already, I invite you to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can leave us a rating and a review. We'd appreciate that. And on social media, Twitter is where you can find us. At From the Diamond underscore is the show. I am at Grant McCauley, and Nick is at Nick Green 20 And you can find everything at FromTheDiamond.com as well, including every episode of the show and some other articles and fun stuff we'll be putting up throughout the course of the 2019 season. Nick, I enjoyed it as always, and just happy to have a week's worth of baseball to talk about, and we'll get to do this again next week. Should be pretty fun. Should be, man. Should be an exciting season. All right, well, I look forward to seeing you at the ballpark, and we look forward to catching you on From the Diamond next week. For Nick Green, I'm Grant McCauley, and we will catch you next time. So long, everyone.